Welcome to another episode of the University of Washington's Thrivecast, the podcast designed to help School of Medicine faculty thrive. I'm Trish Critic, and today we're joined by Dr. Sandy Suffian. Dr. Suffian is a professor of Health Humanities and History in the College of Medicine and a professor of Disability Studies in the College of Applied Health Sciences at the University of Illinois, Chicago. I'm really excited about this conversation as it was one prompted by a suggestion from a faculty member and I keep asking all of you to suggest conversations to have and I was thrilled to get the suggestion. Dr. Suffian is a Public Voices Op-Ed Fellow alumnus and as a part of that program, she recently wrote a piece for Inside Higher Ed that was entitled The Prejudicial Logic of Productivity. It focused on the environment for faculty with disabilities. And so I've invited her here to have a conversation with us about faculty with disabilities and how we can create a space and processes and procedures and individual behaviors that are more inclusive for our faculty with disabilities. So Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. You've written about disability bias in academia and the emphasis on productivity as a manifestation of ableism. And I'm wondering if you could just talk for a little bit about how faculty with disabilities, how faculty member with disabilities might experience this. Sure. What I write about is something I call the regime of productivity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something that I think every academician in medicine and elsewhere experiences nowadays. Uh, with sort of increasing numbers of publications needed and increasing numbers of conference presentations and grants and bigger grants and, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of the endless uh, demands on academicians. And for faculty with disabilities who may have medical time limitations or because they're doing certain treatments or going to the doctor or the physical therapist or whatever, or in the hospital, or those with fatigue, or those with, you know, who have mobility impairments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Things may take longer. And so as those demands go up, certainly in the past decade, what I argue is they're increasingly untenable for everyone but particularly for faculty with disabilities who have these other kinds of demands on their time as well, that these are experienced by a faculty with a disability as sort of, well, first of all, very frustrating, but also counter to to (laughs) self-preservation. So the other thing I talk about is that faculty with disabilities could experience those demands and also just the discussion around those demands with their chair or with other colleagues as, oh, well, of course I got, you know, applied for seven grants in six months or whatever, that as a sort of microaggression because because of their time constraints and also their energy constraints, not everybody with with disabilities. It depends on the disability, of course, but that is sort of encountered as a microaggression and um, not a deliberate one, but it is felt that way. And also a reminder of some sort of failure, right? That they're not keeping up, that they're not doing enough. So it's a, it's a real dilemma. I think you raised something that resonates with me. First of all, I will say, I think 
maybe during the pandemic, feel like we started having more conversations about the burdens on folks as they tried to balance the care of their children or their care of the elders or the right. care of other folks in their families. And I think what you're kind of highlighting is for a cohort of our faculty, the care of themselves is such that that is a significant part of the picture and impacts a lot of different dimensions of what we define as success for faculty. And I want to be really clear. I want all of our faculty to take care of themselves, but it's different if you have regular infusions or trips to the, you know, admissions to the hospital, or you are in a wheelchair and your ability to get to and from work takes a lot longer than it does for somebody who's not. Is is that getting at the, the crux of what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. One of the things that happened at my university, and I think nationally, is that during the height of the COVID pandemic, I don't think we're out of that, mm -hmm. even though people talk about it that way. Um, but at the height of it, our university extended the tenure clock. In other words, said, okay, for those who are coming up for tenure, you have another year. Mm -hmm. You can opt in to have another year. And this was something that faculty with disabilities <laughs> were discussing as, as sort of well, why all of a sudden is that possible when we've been asking for that or we've been needing that forever mm -hmm. and no budge before? Um, and now it's back that you can't do that, right? And so it was this grace period that was given to everyone, but people with disabilities or faculty with disabilities, some may not, but some may need that kind of grace period uh, just because that's their life, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, we did also have what we called a COVID clock stop so that people had extra time to progress to towards mandatory promotion. And I think, as you noted, some people needed it, some people didn't. It was available to everyone and, and people could make decisions about that. I'm going to kind of get back to some of the individual things we can do around this because you talked about how there are meetings or conversations that can be particularly challenging and, and feel like people are being harmed by, by those conversations. So I want to come back to that. But let's start with the bigger picture policy stuff, because we're talking about that right now. So what are your thoughts or what are your suggestions or your ideas for how in a systematic way we might create an environment that would be more inclusive of our faculty with disabilities? Because at the end of the day, at least here, and I'm pretty sure at your institution, we're striving to have a really diverse faculty who bring novel perspectives to the work that they do, to the spaces that they enter in collaboration with folks here. So we do want to be inclusive. So are there big systems things that you would suggest as potential remedies to some of this? Sure. I think that both for students and for faculty, we need to get away from ideas around time and productivity in a sort of normative sense of time, standards, and productivity, and think about productivity around the contributions that people are making, mm -hmm. whether or not that is 10 or 40 publications. Mm -hmm. It matters more, I think, um, what the contribution of that work is rather than the numbers. So, sort of dispelling that standard or that, yeah, that norm is particularly in, in medicine, colleges of medicine. I think it's, it's particularly over-demanding. 
it's interesting because we've been talking a lot about how do we remedy the bias that is in our promotion process in a lot of different ways. And so I think this kind of fits into this idea of, can we get to a place of holistic review? Yeah. And I think that speaks to a form of holistic review. And at the end of the day, we have requirements at the university level and the school level around promotion, but a lot of promotion decisions lie in the hands of your peers. And so talking about how can we more holistically review folks, uh, I think is is really helpful. Do you know of any places that have done this particularly well? Because we're always excited to learn from other institutions. That's a great question. I do not. <laughs> okay. um, uh, in some respects, this is a this is a dream. I know my own institution is discussing, like yours, how do we make our culture more inclusive for all? But I think there hasn't been enough movement on really thinking about these connections between time, standards, and productivity. I do think the other kinds of things that can happen are training around ableism, around this crux of time, standards, and productivity with department chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that department chairs on the whole are trying to support their faculty and to do that for faculty with disabilities. They need the language. They need the sort of perspectives of faculty themselves with disabilities, but also the ideas around normality and what one scholar calls compulsory able-bodiedness, right? And in order to break those down, kind of think about structural remedies that go beyond accommodations. So the ADA accommodations are crucial, but they only go so far, right? And so how do we think beyond ADA accommodations, that gets into the language and the, you know, the training of chairs, but also departments, right? I mean, I I personally find the modules for every kind of training really um, annoying. And I think a lot of faculty do find that annoying. So some more creative way than modules, but some sort of intervention to raise this issue uh, across colleges of medicine, just to get people talking and thinking through what works for their institution um, and what their faculty need. I think, um, well, first of all, I think that most of our faculty would agree that another learning management module is not what they want. So I think that that's a ubiquitous feeling. And I think education and probably dialogue is the most important thing. And so this is the start of some dialogue with that, which is our intention. And I, I appreciate you saying we need leadership to talk about it. And I think that's true. And it's something that we need to think about as a school level, but we also need all of us to talk about it. Can you make a distinction for me about an accommodation versus this larger change? Um, just so that we make sure that everyone understands the distinction that you're making between those. So an accommodation would be something like, I need to have a better chair for my back pain, or I need um, a key, a special keyboard, or I might need a dictation so that I I can, although everyone in the College of Medicine probably who's a physician has a dictation service, but something like that, right? Or technical standards that are adjustments to technical standards for residents or 
um, attendings, right? Mm -hmm. It's very important. It's based on the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, and the Amendment Act, but it only goes so far. It doesn't, it sort of keeps it within the purview of the person with a disability. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, rather than larger cultural change. Frankly, you know, there's something called universal design and education. Mm-hmm. Universal design and it ed- actually UW has a center for universal design yes. and education. I use their website constantly. That is a really good step to have systematic change that goes beyond these individual remedies, right? Because it, it's set up to be universal for everyone. And then it works for everyone because people, you know, break their leg and may need an accommodation for X amount of time. But if, if it's built in, how much better is that? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Of course, my head goes to universal precautions that we use in the clinical setting. It's the same kind of thing as if we always presume that something could happen and wear our gloves, then we're always protected and we don't have to do it just for some folks. So that I I really like that distinction of an accommodation is about this individual and their ability to interact with the world and might need different resources, different supports, whatever that is. And the bigger systematic thing would would make it easier. And and it actually plays into my second question, which is one of the things that I think is a challenge is is disclosure of disability. Yeah. And I'm curious about your thoughts about disclosure of disability, because on the one hand, there's value in sharing so that people understand the lens through which a person is managing the world. And I'll and I'll say that there are some disabilities that you can't not disclose. And at the same time, that's a burden on people to disclose. And so I'm curious your guidance around that. And I think about that, obviously, as you said, if you do universal design so that people don't have to disclose, that would remedy to a certain degree. But I also think there are people with disabilities who might need accommodations and don't say anything. And I just wonder how we create an environment where that space is is safer or more supportive. I think you're getting to a really good point. And I actually was going to say something when we were talking about the ADA. The ADA and accommodations make it so that the faculty herself, I'll use that pronoun, um, must disclose. That's the only way to get the accommodation. So many, many people, particularly in in colleges of medicine, Mm -hmm. because in medicine, there is this strange, (laughs) I think it's very strange. On the one hand, the mission of a college of medicine is, or of medicine itself, is to heal people and think of them as having full lives and optimizing their well-being. On the other hand, there's this very, there's such a high stigma in colleges of medicine um, and just in medicine in general of mm-hmm. a physician having a disability. I don't know why. Uh, there, there's this assumption that they're inferior, that they can't do certain things, that they can't keep up. So accommodations force that faculty person to disclose, mm-hmm. whereas universal design has it so that some people may still have to disclose because they may need those individual accommodations, yes. even with universal design, yes. right? I think that a systematic policy uh, initiative must include addressing that stigma and thinking about ways of 
undoing that stigma, which is a huge cultural stigma in America, but it is particularly bad in my experience in colleges of medicine. And so, yes, there are many, many students who do not disclose they have a disability. There are many, many faculty with disabilities that do not disclose that they have a disability if it's an invisible disability. If it's a visible disability, they don't usually have a have an option. Um, right. But there are 4% of faculty in the nation who have disabilities. And it seems to me to be so unfortunate that they feel that they cannot disclose or they only disclose when things get so bad that they realize they really need that accommodation. Otherwise, they're going to be fired or who knows, not get tenure or whatever. But it's too it's almost too late uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times. So if you have, I mean, there just has to be some cultural change. I hear that completely. And I completely resonates with me that people generally keep whatever they can to themselves for a lot of different reasons. And it would be great to create an environment where it was normal to talk about it because that's kind of what we do. And I agree with that's not who we are right now. I'm curious because I do like to think about what the individual can do. We need systems to change to to be more supportive but what would be your advice to a faculty member like me in terms of like what are the day-to-day things that one could do to start to try to decrease that stigma and create a space where it would feel more welcoming and supported again i think that's not going to happen as long as the cultural change doesn't happen right so an individual may not feel okay uh disclosing and trying to even work towards that cultural change, unless they get the support of higher ups. Now, students mm-hmm. are pretty activated in doing this. They, at least at our school, they have, we've had a students with disabilities group for a long, long time. I think individually then, they faculty should mirror this, right? And form a group that's an advocacy group uh, that advocates for the administration and also supports one another because there's a lot of expertise amongst faculty with disabilities about how to maneuver things or how to handle certain things. I know for myself, when I was pre-tenure, I tried my best not to disclose. It was very hard because of my the nature of my disability, but I tried really hard. Now that I'm a full professor and experienced many, many discriminatory things in the process in my career, I just tell anybody, but it's because I'm not, there's nothing anyone can do to me, to my career. Like I feel much more um, stable, right? I, that, I'm sure that's true for a lot of faculty in our spaces too. And so I do think, I hear you on the, with the systems need to change. And that's generally the case when we have challenging environments. However, I also think this part about like coming together, talking to each other, supporting each other, supporting your colleagues who might say, hey, I'm doing this and and speaking up. I also appreciate encouraging the people who are more senior to share their lived experience. And and that's a burden to ask people to share their lived experience. But if it feels like a right thing to do, I think it helps with kind of the raising awareness. And so for what you're doing, I'm grateful for your community. And I'm grateful for the folks in our community who do the same. Okay, we've talked about a lot. You've given me great food for thought. I suspect you've given a lot of other people listening great food for thought. I'm wondering if there's like 
one last pearl or one last thing that you want to share with folks on this topic? Because you've thought about this deeply for a long time and a short podcast is probably inadequate to encapsulate everything that you've thought about. Great question. <laughs> um, I really do think that this idea around the pace of accomplishment mm -hmm. is, is really key in making the academy just a better place for everyone to work. It's out of control. I mean, from the time I entered the academy to now, the expectations are, they're just not sustainable. I mean, that's, you know, we wonder why people are so burnt out, right? Especially physicians. Why are physicians, there's so much discussion and the remedy is like meditate, well, but that puts it back on the person, you know? And that's not what it is. They're burnt out because of the pace of seeing a billion patients applying for a billion grants and publishing and publishing and pub. It doesn't have to be that way. Like you need time to think. This is for everyone. It's particularly hard, harder, I think, for faculties with disabilities. So really revisiting this idea of pace of accomplishment and what standards are and what the assumptions around those standards are, is a really good place to start. I appreciate you bringing us back to that because I agree that in the general sense of well-being, when I talk to faculty here, it is this kind of overwhelming sense of I have so much to fit on my plate and it definitely can't all fit. And so you're always feeling like you're behind and and not achieving the things that you should be doing, want to be doing, could be doing, whatever those things are. So I appreciate that as a global suggestion because we are worried about people's tendency to become burnt out earlier in their careers and choosing to leave the career because of it. So I think it's super important. And then you said, and this is a plus one. This is a plus one on top of that, which I think is an important thing to highlight as well. This has been a fabulous conversation. I feel like I've learned in the conversation. And as I said, I'm pretty confident that everybody who listens will also learn. And I really appreciate you spending the time with me and with our audience. We'll include your recent article with this podcast when we send it out so people can read a little bit more about what you had to say. Oh, terrific. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And thank you for the time, uh, the energy and the wisdom that you shared. Thank you. And folks, if you want to listen to more episodes of Thrivecast, you can find them at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find them on the UW School of Medicine faculty website at faculty.udubmedicine.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day.